How's that? Better? Okay. Welcome to uh, our sixth and second to last. Huh? I don't think it's the best. Once again, welcome <laughs> to our sixth and second to last installment in the Spiritual Sweat series. I'm happy to see a lot of new faces here with us today. If you're just joining us, this is the series that attempts to get us to have our spirits in as good a shape as our bodies are in, all right? Because obviously we don't need to do anything about our physical fitness because obviously we have some the highest caliber physical bodies right here, okay? So what we are doing is we're working on our spirits, and our hope is that as the verse says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, to exercise ourselves towards godliness. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines that were given to us from the very earliest days of Christianity, about ways that we as the children of God should exercise our spirits to get into good spiritual shape. Today, we're going to talk about the discipline of worship. Next week, we're going to talk about the discipline of celebration. And next week is going to be a fun week that I hope nobody misses because it's the time that we're going to celebrate together. Uh, we're going to talk about the importance of doing that in our spiritual lives. But today, we're going to talk about worship. And our key verse for today is going to be this verse from John chapter 4, verse 23, which says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. This was a verse that our Lord Jesus Christ said to the Samaritan woman when he met her by the well. And this verse lays the foundation of everything we're going to talk about here today. When Jesus spoke about what he is looking for, about what the Father is looking for. He said, I'm looking for people to worship me, and I'm looking for people to do that in a certain way. So just worshiping is different than worshiping the right way, and we're going to see that today because the Lord gave two criteria for the way worship should be done. Proper worship must be in spirit and in truth. And we're going to try to break that down here today to see what that means because I believe that a lot of us 
couldn't define what worship means. And I believe we took a survey here of all these nice people sitting here today, and we say, what does it mean to worship God? I bet you we get as many definitions as people sitting here. And some people say worshiping God is singing to God. Some people say it's bowing to God. Some people say it's reading my Bible and obeying God. Some people say it's liturgy is worshiping. And some people say is when um, I, you know, um, do the handshake and the secret code sign, that's worshiping God. What does it mean to worship God? And how do I know if I'm worshiping him in the way that he wants to be worshiped? And I make sure that I'm doing it the right way. Worshiping God from the very earliest, earliest, earliest time was a critical factor that defined the children of God from everyone else. Was that who you worshipped and how you worshipped God from the very, very beginning. It was my children worship me. And if you worship someone else other than me, that was the defining feature or criteria of what made you a child of God. That's why this topic is going to be a lot more. This topic is more important than maybe we would realize right off the surface. Key thing that's going to be the key thought running through today. Worship is in spirit and in truth. So that means that there's two components to worship. There is the spirit of worship and then the act of worship. And I'm going to talk about both of them. Okay? We need to worship God in spirit, meaning that it's something inside and there's a spirit. But then there's an outside or an act of worship. And don't confuse the two with each other. So if I'm doing all the right acts of worship, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm really worshiping God in spirit and truth. Like you can go through all the motions, and it doesn't mean that you're worshiping God. Worship needs an outside and an inside component, and I'm going to talk about the two of them. But please, right off the bat, do not water down worship to be just an outside thing. Yes, worship will have outside things. It will have acts. It will have tangible things. But please don't dumb down the definition of worship to mean just that and exclusively that. There's a spirit on the inside. All right, let's go to the definition. We need a working definition here for worship for today. Worship actually comes from two words that used to be separate, but they kind of smashed them together. Worth and ship. Worth and ship. Which when you put them together, worth, ship, that's where worship came from. And it literally means to assign worth. Think about it this way. If I say, I worship that, I am assigning the status of worth to that thing. Think about the word kingship. If I say, I bestow on this boy, I give you kingship. What does that mean? It means I take the status of king and I ascribe it to you. If I say, I give you my friendship, I give the status of friend to you. Okay, sportsmanship, okay, sportsman status ascribed to a person. Worship or worthship is saying the status of worth value, importance in my life, I give to this person or this object or whatever. That's why the idea that you might worship work or you might worship money, absolutely. In the, in the, in the truest definition of the word worship, absolutely, some of us do worship work because that's the highest value in our life. And some of us do worship money because that's the highest value in our life. And some of us do worship our family because that's the highest value in our life. And some of us do worship a person because that's the highest value in our life. Well, we need to worship God and worship God alone is God has the highest value, and God has the highest worth in my eyes. Now you say, when you understand the definition of worth, worship, to be worship, this should explain to you why it's so important to God. 
God is starting off his relationship with us by saying, you worship me. Because what he's saying is, don't take this in the wrong way, like understand what I'm saying and don't just misinterpret what I'm going to say, is in a way, God worships us, okay? Not really that he worships us in that sense, but in the sense of the highest worth in God's eyes is me. And we, I'm not telling you to come here, and God never says, love me and worship me and serve me, without him first saying that he loves us and he puts high value on us and he serves us, that we love him because he first loved us. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? So God said to each one of us that you have this high value in my eyes. Now, you don't know how valuable you are in the eyes of God. And when you realize how valuable you are in the eyes of God, then worship is the reciprocal response to that. It comes natural. So the reason why a lot of our worship is low is because we don't see our worth in God's eyes. Does that make sense? Let me make it to you clear the different way. Let's say my lovely wife over there, okay? Let's say we got married, or we did get married. Let's say when we got married, she came to me, okay, and... Uh, or let's flip it around, okay? But it's more believable if it's for her to me, so she's going to be a good sport on this one. But she came to me and said, you know, I love you, and you're the best, and I leave my father and my mother and my brother and my sister. I leave everything for you, and I'll follow you to the ends of the world. If you want to dress funny and have a beard, like, I'll take that, even like anything that you want. Like, I love you so much, and you're that valuable. I'll make any sacrifice for you. What is she waiting for from me? Uh... I like you too. <laughs> no response is appropriate unless I respond the exact same way. Like when someone says to me that I will do anything for you and you are that important to me, and I respond with anything less than that, that's insulting. It's rude. That's the heart of worship. Is that God telling us our value in his eyes and then asking us to respond back in the same way. I'm afraid that sometimes God tells us, you are this important to me. And we say, okay, God, I'll read my Bible. Okay, I'll read my Bible. God says, this is you important. Say, okay, okay, I'll go to church earlier. Like, okay, but you owe me. Okay, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll stop stealing pencils from the office. Okay, like, okay, yeah. And we treat worship as something like, okay, well, I came to church. I didn't steal the pencils. I read my Bible. Like, okay, like, no. I can't go to my wife and she says that and say, okay, okay, I'll pick up milk on the way home. Like, okay, 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 I'll get you a cup of water. Okay, like it doesn't work that way. God is expressing our worth in his eyes. And anything less than the same response, it doesn't work. That's why true worship of God doesn't begin here, begins here. True worship of God doesn't begin here. We're going to get to here. Because it has to have a here component. But it begins here. It begins in the heart. It begins in a touch from God. Where God says, I love you so much. And then worship begins when I understand that. And then I try to reciprocate that back out to him. That's why usually we associate worship with singing, right? Because singing is not a here. Singing is a here. When you are excited and you are like enthused about something, you roll down the windows, you drive fast, you turn the music up loud, and you just sing whatever it is, all right? I'll be honest, almost every Sunday going home from church, that's how I drive home from church on Sundays because I'm just so pumped. Every Sunday I leave here pumped about what God is doing in our church. Windows down, music up, don't care what the song is, I'm singing the whole way home. 
because that emotion is oftentimes correlated with singing. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus was asked, give me the most important commandment. Jesus said the following. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the most important commandment. Love me with all your heart. Love me with all your soul. Love me with all your mind. Love me with all your strength. What does that mean God is looking for? What does that mean the first commandment is? Is to love me passionately, wholeheartedly, with everything you got. Give me all your mind. Give me all your soul. Give me all your strength. Give me everything that you got. That God's saying, I love you this. It's exactly like the kids. I love you this, this, this much. And I want you, the first commandment is love me this, 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 this much. That's why we can't take worship and say, worship is read your Bible, go to church, serve God. Like, we can't do it that way. We can't water down worship to be just an action. Yes, the action will come. But think about it this way. I get my wife off the hook here. I go to my kids, okay? I love my kids so much, so much, so much, so much, so much. But I don't love them so that they'll mow the lawn for me. I love them because I love them. And I want them to love me, and then I want them to say, I want to mow the lawn because I love you. But I don't want them to say, I want to say, I love you. And they say, okay, because you love me, I mow the lawn. No, no, no. I want them to say, because you love me, I love you. And because it would make you happy to mow the lawn, I mow the lawn. And that's the way it is for our relationship with God. You love me, I love you. And because I know I, that, how much you love me and I want to show you I love you, I want to go to church early. I want to stand up and pray. I want to read your word. I want to know you better. I want to know you more deeply. But the order is important. That's why I say the following. Our primary duty, our primary duty as a child of God is to worship God. Our primary duty, not our secondary, not something that we should think about every now and then, our primary duty. Because that's what separates the children of God from the children of the neighbors, or the children of the other, other cities, the other countries, is those who worship the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are the ones who are the true children of God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. When the devil tried to sneak up on him and tell him, hey, worship me. He said, look here, man. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the word serve is like meaning worship, meaning like serve him in a way of like worshiping him. Like you, he's the only one that you shall minister to and serve as a God. This verse, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, kind of like I told y'all a few weeks ago when I talked about simplicity and covetousness and greed and all that stuff. Does this verse apply to us today? Is it important for us to consider whether or not we worship other gods other than the true God? Because I believe, my experience, I never met one person who's told me that they worship other gods. No one's ever come to confession and said, idolatry, okay? I'm offering incense to other gods. No one's ever told me that. But I don't think... That if it was so prevalent for so many years, and from the beginning of time when man was created, man began worshiping other gods. It's hard for me to believe that it doesn't apply to us today in some way, shape, or form. I believe idolatry, worshiping false gods, is just as alive today as it was back in the day. But actually, it's different than it was back in the day. It's become much more user-friendly, thanks to technology. See, if you wanted to worship your bank account, you used to have to wait for a statement to come in the mail. Now you can just go on there every single morning and worship your bank account, your 401ks. You can go worship it right there. If you wanted to worship um, your uh, celebrities, 
and the people that you follow used to have to wait till Entertainment Tonight came on at 7.30. Now you can just go online all day and read all the news and all the stuff and all of this, and you can worship them right then and there. You used to have to, in order to worship yourself, people used to have to come tell you how much they love you, but now you just go look on your Facebook, you see your status, and you can worship yourself right there. Look how many friends I got. And look what they commented on my wall. Aren't I the best? You used to have to go outside to worship, but now worship is at the tip of our fingertips, right? Devil can use anything to steal our worship. And believe it or not, like I said earlier, devil used good things to steal your worship too. Some people worship their families. Mother might worship her kids. You say, that's a good thing, right? I say, no. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Someone may worship a certain, like a spouse, and it might be the most important thing in the whole wide world. No, you worship God. All right? Not saying we don't love our spouse and love our kids. I'm not saying it like that. But the devil can use all kinds of stuff to make you lose track of worship. So what we're going to talk about here today is how we can get our worship adjusted, the practice of worship, the discipline of worship. And we're going to talk about it on the two fronts, spirit and on truth. Okay, so we're going to start with the spirit, the intangible, the more abstract, and then we're going to get to the truth, the practice. There's a lot of ways you can worship God. There's a lot of ways you can worship God. And I'm only going to focus the rest of today about one main way. But with that said, I'm not saying it to the exclusion of all the other things. You should be able to worship God when you are in your room alone. You should worship God. You should worship God as you walk down the street. You should worship God as you get together and as we sing songs. You should be worshiping. Everywhere you go, you should be worshiping. But the pinnacle of worship for us is when we gather together for the divine liturgy. When we gather together on Sunday mornings. Again, I'm not saying it's the only way to worship God. But it is the climax and all the other worships kind of lead up to and build up to that moment when we celebrate the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as he instituted at the Last Supper many years ago. One of the things that's always made Christianity different than every other religion, especially like the Eastern ones, is this emphasis on communal worship. Because a lot of the other Eastern religions talk about go off, be by yourself, worship God and just kind of live off by yourself. And the most spiritual are the ones who are the most by themselves. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity teaches that, yes, being by yourself and alone and worshiping, that's fantastic. But then the body comes together and we reach a new height in worship that could not be achieved individually. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This verse was written at a time when it was very dangerous for Christians to gather together in groups and worship God together. It was much more, like it made a lot more sense, each one kind of hang out in your basement, worship God, okay, but don't do the public stuff because that can get us in trouble. But despite that, in the face of imminent danger, they were commanded, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Because there is power when we gather ourselves together in a special kind of a way. So like I said, I'm going to talk about now how to increase our level of worship. And I'm, again, I'm specifically focusing on Sunday mornings. But really, it can be applied to everything. But I just can't talk about everything because we'd be here all day. 
Let's talk about the spirit, okay? Remember we said spirit and truth. So I'm going to talk about the heart of worship, the spirit of worship. If you go to the Bible and you start all the way from the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, and you look at how they worship God from all the way in the Old Testament, because like we talked about before, we don't throw away the Old Testament. The Old Testament is two-thirds of the inspired word of God, so don't throw away the Old Testament. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a glaring difference in the way they worship God than we worship God. Glaring. What is it? I'm going to say this word, and then I'm going to define it. A word, a term, holy expectancy. What's holy expectancy mean? Just yesterday, my sister-in-law had a baby. She was expectant. Okay, we have some other expectant people. What does expectant mean? What does expectancy mean? And what does it mean when I put the word holy in front of it and I relate it to worship? Expectancy means that I show up believing without a shadow of a doubt that something's coming out today. When a pregnant woman shows up at the hospital, it's not like 50-50, is there something inside? It's not 50-50, is something going to happen? Something's going to happen. And it's either going to happen now, or it's going to happen later, but it's going to happen at some point in time. And it's going to be big, and it's going to be a big deal. Something is happening. I fear that we have lost the holy expectancy that the people of Israel had, that the church of the New Testament had. Because you know in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, people showed up with their sacrifices, and they showed up, and they showed up at the tabernacle, and they knew without a shadow of a doubt they're going to offer that sacrifice, fire going to come down, and they knew, I'm going to enter the Holy of Holies, and God is going to be present. It was never a question. Is God going to be in the Holy of Holies today or not? Is he going to be there or not? Is he going to be an off Sunday for him? In the New Testament, the same way. They used to gather together, and the weirdest stuff used to happen when they gathered for worship in the New Testament church. And it didn't phase them one bit. It didn't phase them one bit. Things would shake. People would walk through walls. Dead people would be raised, and they never flinched. I'll show you a story right here that... You just, I'll just read the story to you, and you tell me what's going on here. Acts chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, so this means they gathered on Sunday, breaking bread, that was their worship together. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Thank me, okay, because I don't preach until midnight like St. Paul did, okay? He went till midnight. If I get you out by 1245, everyone raises a ruckus, okay? He went till midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And, a wind, and in a window sat a certain man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, sitting by the window. You know where this is going, okay? This is why you never fall asleep in the middle of the sermons, because you never know. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Stop the story right there. We need to close the church today, okay? This church is closed. The lawsuits are coming. All kinds of bad publicity is coming. This church is done. This is a disaster. Somebody died while listening to the sermon. Imagine we're sitting here today, and I want to, someone just, poof, just dropped dead right there. Right on the spot. While I'm sitting up here preaching, people are laughing, taking notes. Someone just drops dead. That's a big deal. To them, no problem. Not a big deal. Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Yeah, don't worry. Everybody relax. Go back, have a seat. Get your outlines out. No no worries. Now when he had come up, broken bread, eaten, look what he did after. He was speaking till midnight, and then he did what? 
He talks a long while. Okay, so after he talked till midnight, he said, have a seat. I ain't done my sermon yet. I'm still on point number three. Even till daybreak, he departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. How in the world did this not shake them? How in the world was this not a big deal? How in the world is this just like, oh, yeah, the guy died, and then he woke him up, and then he finished his sermon? That's holy expectancy. They weren't shocked. Blind people showed up. They walked away seeing. No, nothing fazed them. Dead people showed up. They walked away alive. Lame people, deaf people, that wasn't a big deal for them because they had no doubt in their mind that God was present. And they showed up here on Sunday mornings, and they knew God was present. My fear is that we lost that. We show up on Sundays, and we know we're doing a good thing. And we're pretty sure that, you know, it's like God is kind of sort of somewhere in the area. He's probably like reading his newspaper. He's like, okay, yeah, bless those guys over there. And he kind of goes back. And just kind of like a blessing. But we lost the expectancy that the early church had. They understood this verse, which I think is one of... I don't want to say misinterpreted verses, but I don't, think we, I don't think we apply it the way it was meant to be applied. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Matthew chapter 18, the whole chapter, not the whole chapter, but this section is all about the church. And it's all about the church that Christ was coming to establish. And this is where he's talking about how if you have a disagreement, talk about it. If you can't, bring it to the church. And it was all talking about the church. And then he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. We take this and mean like, okay, when we gather in fellowship, and I'm not against that, absolutely. God is always with us. But this verse is a promise that when we gather together here in the church, that he's in our midst. And we lost that expectancy. And that's why our worship is weak. How do we get it back? How do we get it back? Can we just like force it? Can we just... I don't think we can. I think you're fooling yourself. I think you can for a Sunday or two, but long-term, I don't think you can. I'm going to go back to something I said three weeks ago, or four weeks ago, when we talked about solitude. Remember how I was talking about how solitude, inner solitude, is throughout your day, you need to take little breaks throughout your day and reset yourself with God. Middle of your work day, driving from here to there, like you need little breaks to re- connect, recalibrate, readjust yourself to kind of remind yourself, like, you need to readjust of, of wh what's going on in life. Because sometimes life, we get all, we need to readjust. I think that's actually the key to getting this expectancy back. You know why? Because when we ignore God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we say, okay, we're coming to church on Sunday, it is really hard to go from ignoring God to expecting miracles. They were able to come to church on Sunday and expect miracles because they were living with God all throughout the week. Living with Him, living with Him. And they knew if this is where God is throughout the week, and God is speaking, God is working, and God is healing, and God is touching, and God is, and God is, and God is. And then all of a sudden, and God is working in you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And then all of us get together, and God is working in you, and you, and you. And then you guys come too, and you, and you, and you, and God is working in all of us. What's going to happen when we all stand together? We worship God, man, the roof is going to explode. Dead people is going to rise. Deaf people is going to hear. Because they were living that life throughout the week. If you can't hear God and see God on a day-to-day -day basis, it's going to be tough for you to get there on Sunday. I'll be honest. 
We need little moments throughout our days, throughout our weeks, little breaks to say, you know what? Even something simple as like, I love you, God. I love you. You're the best. We need to look outside, okay? And, and I'm not like a, like I'm not like a, I don't know what the right word is about being offensive. Like I'm not like a, I'm a concrete, tangible guy. So when I say this, like don't think like I'm a, one of those, okay? But I'm saying like we need to be someone that can like look outside at nature and see like, okay, there's God's creation. God, you're awesome in your creation. We need to be able to hear someone say something to us at work and be like, God, did you send me that message? What are you trying to tell me? We need to be able to go home and see something in our wife or in our kids or in our husband or whatever. Say, like, okay, God, you're teaching me a lesson through my little five-year-old kid right here. If you can't see God in those things, it's going to be hard for you to have that expectancy on Sundays. Practically, how do we do it? We need to practice the presence of God daily. And why I chose this expression is there's a famous book called Practicing the Presence of God. And I assume that several people here have read it. And if you've read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't read it, the premise of the book is that there was a Catholic monk whose name is Brother Lawrence. I highly recommend this book, by the way. Everyone should read this book. All right? And if you, if you don't know how to get this book, come let me know. I'll get you the book. The premise of the book, this Catholic monk named Brother Lawrence, as he was serving in the monastery, okay, he was like a cook in the kitchen. And his premise was, we gather together for prayer, and then we go off and do our work. But I see no separation between my work and my worship. And the two, there's no reason to separate the two. And he used to say that I feel God's presence as I'm working in the kitchen with the dishes just as much as when we're gathering for prayer. A couple quotes, he said. He said, the time of business does not differ with me, I'm sorry, the time of business does not, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. Another quote. At any moment and in any circumstance, the soul that seeks God may find him and practice the presence of God. You believe that or don't believe that? At any moment, in any circumstance, the soul that seeks God may find him and practice the presence of God. That's what it's all about. Is that easy? No. Is it possible? Yes, with practice. It's not possible from today to get there tomorrow. There's another famous book. Y'all ever heard The Way of the Pilgrim? Another famous book, okay, about a Russian, I don't think he was a monk, a Russian whatever, okay, who read the verse that said, pray without ceasing. And he said, I want to do that. And he went on a journey of how to pray without ceasing. Pray 24 hours a day. It's not something that you say, yes, tomorrow I'm going to feel God's presence 24 hours a day. But it's the kind of thing that with practice, that's why it's called practice. 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 And I'm going to get there. And I'm going to do it. And it becomes more natural with time. Just as when you got married, if you got married, when I got married, it became very weird. It was very weird for me to call someone in the middle of my day and ask for permission to do something. I wasn't used to that. But when you get married, you need to get used to it quick. And you do. Okay, and we survive and we get through. What we need is people to start practicing the presence of God. And I promise you this. If she practices the presence of God, 
and then he practiced the presence of God, and then she practiced the presence of God. And just those three people, and you sitting next to them on Sunday, you're going to have a different experience on Sunday morning because it's contagious. It's contagious. And then next week, she's going to do it. And next week, even this guy's going to do it. And they're going to come, and it's going to change our worship experience because it, it's contagious. It's like a fire. The person who comes in, and maybe you've sat next to one of these people. Maybe you try to get away from them a little bit because it's a little weird. But you sit next to one of these people, and there's certain people that are inspiring to pray with them and worship God with them because they lift you up here. I want to be one of those people. I'll give you another analogy. When you're engaged, okay, when you're engaged, an engaged couple, how often do they, let's say they talk, you know, once a day, twice a day, something like that, okay? Let's say they see each other, you know, a couple times a week or something like that. I don't know if times they've changed since when I was engaged, but that was kind of the way we did it. We may see each other twice a week, but when you're engaged and you're in love, it's always on the mind, right? Like you're always thinking about her and you know what I'm saying? And she's always thinking about you and like that's the way we need to be in our relationship with God is that we may not, like we need to always be on our minds, always be on our hearts. And then when that's there and then we see each other, then it's like, you know what I'm saying? But if I forgot about you all throughout the week and then I just see you once a week, like it's not going to be the same. Our Sunday mornings need to become the culmination of a week of worship. Not just a random, brief worship time. They need to be the culmination that everything is building up to there. That's the theoretical. Now let's get to the practical, get to the act. How to make that happen. How to make Sunday mornings the culmination, not just a random moment in time. I'm going to give you three things. And these three things, by no means, are they like, if you do these three things and you're set and like, no, these are just three things that I think will really, really, really help you to become, the key word for me with Sunday mornings is active participation. That's what I always say, is you need to be an active participant in Sunday mornings. Three things to help you become more actively involved in Sunday mornings. First one is be prepared. Be prepared. Don't just show up. Anything that's valuable in life you prepare for in advance. You got an important meeting, you prepare. What's the agenda? Who's going to be there? What are we going to talk about? What rooms are going to be and what times to start? You be prepared with some of the logistical stuff. You go to a sports game, you don't just show up and be like, what are the name of these two teams? You know who it is. This team's playing this team. These are the stars. This is, you get your program who's injured. Like you know the weather. Like you know everything in advance. The more prepared you are, the more you're going to get out of that experience. How do you prepare for Sunday morning experience? Let me just read to you a laundry list. You can add your own stuff. Number one, I say starting from the night before you sleep early. Your, sat your Sunday morning is always affected by your Saturday night. So you don't go out till God knows what hour on Saturday night and expect to be nice and fresh on Sunday morning. Just like you wouldn't for an important job interview on Monday, you'd watch out from Saturday or Sunday night. Same thing. Okay, so you prepare the night before you sleep early. Saturday night's a great time to examine oneself and do a little bit of repentance. And remember we talked about last week about confession? That's a perfect time for it. That's why we have confession hours every Saturday night because it's the best way to prepare for Sunday morning. I'm not saying to confess to a priest every Saturday night. I'm saying to repent every Saturday night, to examine. And then every so often, that's a good time to prepare yourself for the liturgy by confession as well. Sunday mornings. 
I like to wake up early. All right? I don't like to just roll out of bed, rub my eyes, and roll into church. Get up early. Something important that day. Spend some time in prayer. You know, there's no rule. I know this is a common thing in people's mind, that you're not supposed to pray before liturgy. Okay? Because you're already going to pray at church, so why pray on Sunday morning? No, you're allowed to pray. I won't tell no one. Okay? Allowed to read your Bible. Like if we do, if we pray and read our Bible on those other days, Sunday's supposed to be the pinnacle. Sunday's not supposed to be like, I don't got to read my Bible. The priest is going to read it for us. No, Sunday's a day of like, no, it's, it's the pinnacle. So we should read our Bible in advance. And we should know what the reading is going to be. We should prepare by reading the readings. Like I said, when we show up in a meeting, we want to know what the agenda is. You should be praying as you walk into church. You should be praying as you drive up to church. I'm not saying in, in, in full prayer mode. But what I'm saying is your thoughts on the way to church, your discussion on the way to church if you carpool, like they should be different than when you're going anywhere else. You're going with holy expectancy. You're going to meet the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going, dead people may be raised today. Like, you're going ready for something. Also, when I say prepared, it's good to be prepared for distractions. Okay? It's good to be prepared for distractions. So there's the preparation before, but what I'm saying is, when you're here, be prepared that stuff may go wrong. Because church is not a movie. Church is not like a show that we're coming to watch. Oh, I messed up that. And the kids. No. You know what? Even the kids. Be prepared for kids. We got kids. So be prepared. And if the kids bother you, come sit up here. But I'll tell you what you do even more. Okay, and I say this with all my heart. I'm saying this to all the parents. Kids don't bother me. People say, you know why? I'm thankful we got kids. Like, I'm thankful that there's kids in the church and who come in. Like, that's a good thing. Don't be distracted just when a kid makes a little noise. Just glare at them or something like that and they'll stop, okay? <laughs> be prepared for anything that could happen, okay? Don't let it throw you off. Number two, engage your body. What are you talking about? Engage your body, okay? I'll tell you what I mean by engage your body. Psalm 134, verse 2. And there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about worship and tie it to some kind of bodily action, some kind of physical action. King David says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Many times you see King David talking about blessing the Lord, bowing to the Lord, prostrating before the Lord, lifting up his hands. Like you see so many times that physical actions are connected with worship. Did you know that the word worship literally, and the other word, word worship literally, comes from the same word that means to prostrate. Prostrate means like to bow. The word bless, where it says here, bless the Lord, same word as means to kneel. The word thanksgiving literally means the extension of the hand. The point is, one of the things, one of the beautiful things about our Orthodox Church is that it has taught us we are not just spirits floating around. We're flesh and blood. So the church has taught us to worship God with our flesh and blood. And yes, we worship Him with our spirits, but we're not spirits. Like, recognize the fact that you're a body, and your body should worship God. And a lot of times, the bodily worship, like, pushes you in the spiritual worship. I'm not saying, so understand me right. I'm not saying that you have to do all the physical stuff in order to worship in spirit. But what I'm saying is, don't negate the physical, because it may aid you significantly in the spiritual. What am I talking about? Some things that our Orthodox Church has taught us, which are nice. Again, it's not required, but you'll see a lot of people doing it, and you may wonder why. When we say the Lord's Prayer, what do we do? We lift our hands, okay? 
and people have told me, like, why, what's going on? Like, why everyone all of a sudden jumps up, okay? I don't know why we do it, but it helps me to pray when I lift my hands. Kind of, I, I usually lift my head up, too, okay? It's nice. It kind of reminds you of, like, like it's, a, it's a submissive position that, like, our Father, you know what I'm saying? It's lifting up our hands. One of the things church has taught us a lot is the sign of the cross, especially, like, sign of the cross. Do you have to do the sign of the cross? Every five seconds, you need to be one of those, you know what I mean? Like, the, a lot of people, like, you don't need to be one of those guys. You don't need to, but what I'm saying is, for me, when I say something like, we worship you, O Christ, together with your good Father, it's nice when I say, I worship you, O Christ. Like, to me, it helps me to worship God. Again, it's not required, okay? No one's going to quiz you or, or give you a, a sad face sticker if you didn't do it right. But it's helpful to worship God. Something we do when we say the prayer of thanksgiving. And we say, we thank God. What do we do? Okay? Okay? We do like that, right? And the idea, that one actually I usually don't do, but that's fine. Like, more power to you if you like it, okay? I just, the germ situation is what I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for is the germ situation. But that's nice. It's like, we thank you when our hands are full, when our hands are empty. Okay? It's, it's nice. Don't, don't, don't be legalistic about it, but don't negate. Like, don't go to either extreme. That you have to do it, and you didn't do it right, and you're not standing with the right foot forward and left foot back, and don't, don't be crazy about it, but don't negate it. And don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? Engage your body in worship. Number three, sing passionately. And when I say passionately, I mean loudly, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, guts, everything that you got inside you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Worship needs to be total body. It needs to be your mind. It needs to be your body. It needs to be your emotions. The first of the three, being prepared, helps which part of your body to worship? Here, your mind, intellectually, you know what's going to happen. Your body, that's easy, that's your body. Singing is your spirit, your soul, your emotions, your heart. And those should worship God as well. And I'm going to just, I'm going to cut you off right now. I'm going to cut off the objections right now. You say, hey, I'm not an emotional person. Hey, I'm reserved, I'm quiet, I'm not a loud singing kind of a guy. Look here. I'm not a loud singing kind of a guy either. But you come to my house at the Super Bowl when there's a minute left, okay, and the Niners got the ball over at the six-yard line, and you will find loud passion and emotion. And if I'm following you as you got cut off in 495, I will find loud passion and emotion. So don't tell me you are not loud, passionate, and emotional. You're just loud, passionate, and emotional about different things. And I'm saying there's nothing more worthy of our loudness, our passion, and our emotion than God because he is worthy that's worship he has all worth and all value when we worship God in the liturgy on Sunday mornings we sing everything is given in song everything is given in like a musical chanting kind of a way why because you cannot worship God here like music song is the language of this I said before about when you're rocking to a song and, you know, I mean, the window's down. I never seen anyone listening to a sermon being like, yeah. 
you know, with the windows down, and yeah, preach on, yeah. <laughs> Sermons speak to hear. That's fantastic. We should worship God here. I'm not negating this. But music speaks to hear. And that's why the church told us that when we gather together, we praise God, we sing to God. And we sing with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, anything that we got, we offer it up to Him. I don't know about you. Forgive me, okay? I'm not, I'm not judging anyone, okay? I'm not saying this to anyone. Like, every one of us is different. But I'm saying, speak from my own experience. I don't know how you can love God passionately and not break out into song every now and then and sing to Him. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying I don't understand it. I don't know how you can be passionately in love with God and not lead you to break out in song every now and then just to bust out. Because nothing can accept or can convey this emotion. Words can't convey this emotion. Songs are the only thing that can reach that deep down inside. Some of you say, I'm not good at singing. I say, look, I'm the first one here who's not good at singing, okay? Feel free to disagree. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Okay. I'm the first one here who's not good at singing. But you know what? I ain't singing for your ears. I'm not. If I was, not be a good situation. I ain't singing for your ears. I'm singing for his ears. And sometimes you got to close them eyes, you got to open that mouth, and you got to belt it out. And you see God smiling. And you may see people next to you may be cringing, <laughs> but that's okay because we're not looking at them. We're looking up at Him. He likes singing. You know how I know He likes singing? You know what's going to happen when you get up to heaven? You're not going to find a bunch of people sitting around listening to sermons. You're not going to find a bunch of people sitting around reading books. You're going to find a bunch of people gathered around the throne of God singing and belting it out with all their guts. Let me get you a, a passage here from Revelation 5. I'll go through this quickly. Revelation 5 says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of in, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Okay, I kind of combined it together in paragraph form, but it's given in Scripture as like song format with lines and stanzas and stuff like that. It goes on. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and all the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And the thousands of thousands sing, sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, saying everything I heard saying, blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Look here, people. Worship should be by his standards, not by our standards. You don't like to sing. He likes when we sing. Worship should be by his standards, not by our standards. And I'm not just saying we sing to sing. I'm saying we sing because I want you. You may say, I'm not emotional. I'm not, that's not me. 
I'm saying give it a try and tap into that piece that's deep inside you, and you may discover something that you never found. When you let go, like, I'll be honest, a lot of times we say that, like, I'm not into singing. Be honest, it's not that we're not into singing. It's that we're afraid of the people next to us, what they're going to think about us. And we just use that as an excuse. And when we let go of that, we're willing to let go of, like, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? Let go of that. You may hit a spot inside you that you didn't even know existed. When you let yourself sing to the one who loves you so much, you know what? You may hear him sing back to you. Bottom line, give me a conclusion here from the Word of God. I'll give you a conclusion. First th Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. What is the conclusion then? Asking ourselves the same question? Here it is. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, I will also sing with the understanding. Meaning, I'm going to worship God here, I'm going to worship God here. And some of us are very here, and we're going to do our best to be here. And some of us are very here, and we need to do our best to be here as well. Like, I'm not saying one is higher than the other, but the topic of today is here, so I'm talking about here. But we need here, hey, we need here. We need to worship God with our minds. We need to worship Him with our hearts. We need to worship God when we're alone. We need to worship Him when we're together. We need to worship God on Sundays. We need to worship Him on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. The most important thing with worship is we need to make sure we know who we are in His eyes, and then we respond. Our worship is a response to our worth in His eyes. I'm going to show you one last quote. And I'm going to ask our uh, music team, if y'all don't mind, I ask them to come and conclude here with us so we sing a song. we got to practice what we preach. So y'all come up and get set up while I read this quote and tell this story. One log by itself cannot burn for very long, but when many logs are put together, even if they are poor logs, they can make quite a fire. That's the picture of the church. Is that by ourselves may be a dinky little log. And by yourself, you're a dinky little log. But when you put all these logs together, you may not be able to do one thing by its, much by itself, but when individual worship is high, then we all get together on Sundays, corporate worship will be through the roof. Last thing I'm going to say to you guys, and I'll tell you something that I wasn't even planning to say to you guys, but something that I felt God wanted me to say. Someone came to me recently over this past week, and someone who I would have classified as someone who has a heart of worship, okay, someone who is very passionate about worshiping God and singing to God and very passionate about worshiping God. But this person went through, you know, as we all do, life kind of beats us down, and life had beaten the heart of worship out of this person, whatever circumstances, whatever. But this person said, I'm not going to give up. And this person said, I'm going to keep worshiping God. And it's hard to worship God. You know what I mean? It's hard to worship God sometimes. When life beats you down, it's hard to worship God. This person said, I'm going to worship God. This person committed to, I'm not going to stop worshiping God. I'm not going to stop singing to God. I'm not going to stop worshiping God. This person came to me recently and told me that God healed their life in one of the most amazing ways. And I have no doubt in my mind, and this person has no doubt in their mind, is because that person made a commitment that they will continue to worship God and make Him number one and the highest worth and the highest value no matter what all the circumstances and events of life may say. And I promise you that healing will come from worship. Blessing will come from worship. And every good thing that God wants to give is a result of us saying to him, God, you are the most worthy and most valuable thing in my life. Everything in life 
starts from there. The beginning of my marriage and the end of my marriage is my wife is the most important person to me in the whole wide world. Everything else is secondary. That's the root and that's the foundation. And same thing with our relationship with God. Got our music team up here. We're going to practice what we preach. Okay. Stand up here together. We sing a nice song together. Okay. And then we conclude with a prayer. Control. Con
Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you are truly worthy of all honor and glory and blessing and majesty, and no words that we say, Lord, can ever do justice to who you are and how much you love us. Lord, give us hearts that really, really love you, that not just say we love you, but really love you, and really understand your worth, and really understand who you are. Lord, let our worship not just to be like an outwardly worship, but a real heart worship that worships you from the inside out, Lord. And let it to be that when we gather together that this place really is on fire and that each one of us like a, a, a little fire that's lighting other fires and the whole place on fire. And we desire nothing more, Lord, than to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the true cry of our hearts this day. Pray that you'd help each person here, Lord, as they leave today to go with a renewed sense of passion for you, a renewed understanding of your love for them, and a renewed desire to really worship you every single day with every thought, every breath, every beat of our hearts, Lord, to really offer you worship that you are due. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. And remember, next week is celebration week, so make sure you don't miss next Sunday.